The Boats of the Glen Carrig by William Hope Hodgson. Being an account of their adventures in the strange places of the earth after the foundering of the good ship Glen Carrig through striking upon a hidden rock in the unknown seas to the southward, as told by John Winterstraw, gentleman, to his son James Winterstraw in the year 1757, and by him committed very properly and legibly to manuscript. Chapter 17 Freed Now, when Mistress Madison had seated herself, she invited me to do likewise, after which we fell into talk, first touching upon the matter of the stranding of the rope, about which I hastened to assure her, and later to other things, and so, as is natural enough with a man and a maid to ourselves, and here we were very content to let it remain. Presently, the second mate came in with a note from the bosun, which he laid upon the table for the girl to read, the which she beckoned me to do also, and so I discovered that it was a suggestion, written very rudely and ill-spelt, they should send us a quantity of reeds from the island, with which we might be able to ease the weed somewhat from around the stern of the hulk, thus aiding her progress. And to this the second mate desired the girl to write a reply, saying that we should be very happy for the reeds, and would endeavor to act upon his hint. And this Mistress Madison did, after which she passed the letter to me, perchance I desired to send any message. Yet I had not that I wished to say, and so handed it back with a word of thanks, and at once she gave it to the second mate, who went forthwith and dispatched it. Later, the stout woman from the galley came aft to set out the table, which occupied the center of the saloon, and whilst she was at this, she asked for information on many things, being very free and unaffected in her speech, and seeming with less of a deference to my companion than a certain motherliness for it was very plain that she loved Mistress Madison, and in this my heart did not blame her. Further, it was plain to me that the girl had a very warm affection for her old nurse, which was but natural, seeing that the old woman had cared for her through all the past years, besides being companion to her, and a good and cheerful one, as I could guess. Now a while I passed in answering the buxom woman's questions, and odd times such occasional ones as were slipped in by Mistress Madison, and then suddenly there came the clatter of men's feet overhead, and later the thud of something being cast down upon the deck, and so we knew that the reeds had come. At that Mistress Madison cried out that we should go and watch the men try them upon the weed, for that if they proved of use in easing that which lay in our path, then should we come the more speedily to the clear water, and this without the need of putting so great a strain upon the hawser, as had been the case hitherto.
When we came to the poop, we found the men removing a portion of the superstructure over the stern, and after that they took some of the stronger reeds and proceeded to work at the weed that stretched away in a line with our taffrail. Yet that they anticipated danger, I perceived, for there stood by them two of the men and the second mate, all armed with muskets, and these three kept a very strict watch upon the weed, knowing through much experience of its terrors, how that there might be a need for their weapons at any moment. And so a while passed, and it was plain that the men's work upon the weed was having effect, for the rope grew slack visibly, and those at the capstan had all that they could do, taking fleet and fleet with the tackle, to keep it anywhere near to tautness, and so perceiving that they were keeping so hard at it, I ran to give a hand, the which did Mistress Madison, pushing upon the capstan bars right merrily and with heartiness, and thus a while passed, and the evening began to come down upon the lonesomeness of the weed continent. Then there appeared the buxom woman, and bade us to come to our suppers, and her manner of addressing the two of us was the manner of one who might have mothered us. But Mistress Madison cried out to her to wait, that we had found work to do, and at that the big woman laughed and came towards us threateningly, as though intending to remove us hence by force. And now, at this moment, there came a sudden interruption which checked our merriment, for, abruptly, there sounded the report of a musket in the stern, and then came shouts and the noise of the two other weapons, seeming like thunder, being pent by the overarching superstructure, and directly the men about the taffrail gave back, running here and there, and so I saw that great arms had come all about the opening which they had made in the superstructure, and two of these flickered inboard, searching hither and thither, but the stout woman took a man near to her and thrust him out of danger, and after that she caught Mistress Madison up in her big arms and ran down onto the main deck with her, and all this before I had come to a full knowledge of our danger. But now I perceived that I should do well to get further back from the stern, the which I did with haste, and coming to a safe position I stood and stared at the huge creature, its great arms vague in the growing dust writhing about in vain search for a victim. Then returned the second mate, having been for more weapons, and now I observed that he armed all the men, and had brought up a spare musket for my use, and so we commenced all of us to fire at the monster, whereat it began to lash about most furiously, and so after some minutes it slipped away from the opening and slid down into the weed. Upon that several of the men rushed to replace those parts of the superstructure which had been removed, and I with them, yet there were sufficient for the job so that I had no need to do aught. Thus before they had made up the opening, I had been given a chance to look out upon the weed, and so discovered that all the surface which lay between our stern and the island was moving in vast ripples, as though mighty fish were swimming beneath it. And then, just before the men put back the last of the great panels, I saw the weed all tossed up like to a vast pot a-boil, and then a vague glimpse of thousands of monstrous arms that filled the air and came towards the ship. And then the men had the panel back in its place, and were hasting to drive the supporting struts into their positions. And when this was done we stood a while and listened, but there came no sound above that of the wail of the wind across the extent of the weed continent. And at that I turned to the men, asking how it was that I could hear no sounds of the creatures attacking us, and so they took me into the lookout place, and from there I stared down at the weed, but it was without movement save for the stirring of the wind, 
and there was nowhere any sign of the devil fish. Then, seeing me amazed, they told me how that anything which moved the weed seemed to draw them from all parts, but that they seldom touched the hulk unless there was something visible to them which had movement. Yet, as they went on to explain, there would be hundreds and hundreds of them lying all about the ship, hiding in the weed, but that if we took care not to show ourselves within their reach, they would have gone, most of them, by the morning. This the men told me in a very matter-of-fact way, for they had become inured to such happenings. Presently, I heard Mistress Madison calling to me by name, and so descended out of the growing darkness to the interior of the superstructure, and here they had lit a number of rude slush lamps, the oil for which I learned later they obtained from a certain fish which haunted the sea beneath the weed in very large schools, and took near any sort of bait with great readiness. And so, when I had climbed down into the light, I found the girl waiting for me to come to supper, for which I discovered myself to be in a mightily agreeable humor. Presently, having made an end of eating, she leaned back in her seat and commenced once more to bait me in her playful manner, the which appeared to afford her much pleasure, and in which I joined with no less, and so we fell presently to more earnest talk, and in this wise we passed a great space of the evening. Then there came to her a sudden idea, and what must she do but propose that we should climb to the lookout, and to this I agreed with a very happy willingness, and so to the lookout we went. Now when we had come there, I perceived her reason for this freak, for away in the night, astern the hulk, there blazed halfway between the heaven and the sea, a mighty glow, and suddenly, as I stared, being dumb with admiration and surprise, I knew that it was the blaze of our fires upon the crown of the bigger hill, for all the hill being in shadow, and hidden by the darkness, there showed only the glow of the fires, hung as it were in the void, and a very striking and beautiful spectacle it was. Then, as I watched, there came abruptly a figure into view upon the edge of the glow, showing black and minute and this I knew to be one of the men come to the edge of the hill to take a look at the hulk, or test the strain on the hawser. Now, upon my expressing admiration of the sight to Mistress Madison, she seemed greatly pleased, and told me that she had been up many times in the darkness to view it, and after that we went down again into the interior of the superstructure, and here the men were taking a further heave upon the big rope, before settling the watches for the night, the which they managed by having one man at a time to keep awake and call the rest whenever the hawser grew slack. Later, Mistress Madison showed me where I was to sleep, and so, having bid one another a very warm good night, we parted, she going to see that her aunt was comfortable, and I out onto the main deck to have a chat with the man on watch. In this way I passed the time until midnight, and in that while we had been forced to call the men thrice to heave upon the hawser, so quickly had the ship begun to make way through the weed. Then, having grown sleepy, I said good night, and went to my berth, and so had my first sleep upon a mattress for some weeks. Now, when the morning was come, I waked hearing Mistress Madison calling upon me from the other side of my door, and rating me very saucily for a lie-abed, 
and at that I made good speed at dressing, and came quickly into the saloon where she had ready a breakfast that made me glad I had waked. But first, before she would do aught else, she had me out to the lookout place, running up before me most merrily, and singing in the fullness of her glee. And so, when I had come to the top of the superstructure, I perceived that she had very good reason for so much merriment. And the sight which came to my eyes gladdened me most mightily, yet at the same time filling me with a great amazement. For behold, in the course of that one night we had made near unto two hundred fathoms across the weed, being now, with what we had made previously, no more than some thirty fathoms in from the edge of the weed. And there stood Mistress Madison beside me, doing somewhat of a dainty step-dance upon the flooring of the lookout, and singing a quaint old lilt that I had not heard that dozen years. And this little thing, I think, brought back more clearly to me than aught else how that this winsome maid had been lost to the world for so many years, having been scarce of the age of twelve when the ship had been lost in the weed continent. Then, as I turned to make some remark, being filled with many feelings, there came a hail from far above in the air, as it might be, and looking up I discovered the man upon the hill to be standing along the edge and waving to us, and now I perceived how that the hill towered a very great way above us, seeming, as it were, to overhang the hulk, though we were yet some seventy fathoms distant from the sheer sweep of its nearer precipice. And so, having waved back our greeting, we made down to breakfast, and having come to the saloon, set to upon the good victuals, and did very sound justice thereto. Presently, having made an end of eating, and hearing the clack of the capstan pauls, we hurried out on deck and put our hands upon the bars, intending to join in that last heave which should bring the ship free out of her long captivity, and so for a time we moved round about the capstan, and I glanced at the girl beside me, for she had become very solemn, and indeed it was a strange and solemn time for her, for she who had dreamed of the world as her childish eyes had seen it, was now, after many hopeless years, to go forth once more to it, to live in it, and to learn how much had been dreams and how much real, and with all these thoughts I credited her, for they seemed such as would have come to me at such a time, and presently I made some blundering effort to show her that I had understanding of the tumult which possessed her, and at that she smiled up at me with a sudden queer flash of sadness and merriment, and our glances met, and I saw something in hers which was but new-born. And though I was but a young man, my heart interpreted it for me, and I was all hot suddenly with the pain and sweet delight of this new thing, for I had not dared to think upon that which already my heart had made bold to whisper to me, so that even thus soon I was miserable out of her presence. Then she looked downward at her hands upon the bar, and in that same instant there came a loud, abrupt cry from the second mate to vast heaving, and at that all the men pulled out their bars and cast them upon the deck, and ran shouting to the ladder that led to the lookout, and we followed, and so came to the top, and discovered that at last the ship was clear of the weed, and floating in the open water between it and the island. Now, at the discovery that the hulk was free, the men commenced to cheer and shout in a very wild fashion, as indeed is no cause for wonder, and we cheered with them. Then, suddenly, in the midst of our shouting, Mistress Madison plucked me by the sleeve and pointed to the end of the island where the foot of the bigger hill jutted out in a great spur, 
and now I perceived a boat coming round into view, and in another moment I saw that the boatswain stood in the stern steering. Thus I knew that he must have finished repairing her whilst I had been on the hulk. By this the men about us had discovered the nearness of the boat, and commenced shouting afresh, and they ran down into the bows of the vessel and got ready a rope to cast. Now when the boat came near, the men in her scanned us very curiously, but the boatswain took off his headgear with a clumsy grace that well became him, at which Mistress Madison smiled very kindly upon him, and after that she told me with great frankness that he pleased her, and, more, that she had never seen so great a man, which was not strange seeing that she had seen but a few since she had come to years when men become of interest to a maid. After saluting us, the boatswain called out to the second mate that he would tow us round to the far side of the island, and to this the officer agreed, being, I surmised, by no means sorry to put some solid matter between himself and the desolation of the great weed continent. And so, having loosed the hawser, which fell from the hilltop with a prodigious splash, we had the boat ahead towing. In this wise, we opened out presently the end of the hill, but feeling now the force of the breeze, we bent a kedge to the hawser, and, the boatswain carrying it seawards, we warped ourselves to windward of the island, and here in forty fathoms we vast heaving and rowed to the kedge. Now, when this was accomplished, they called to our men to come aboard, and this they did, and spent all of that day in talk and eating, for those in the ship could scarce make enough of our fellows. And then, when it had come to night, they replaced that part of the superstructure which they had removed from about the head of the mizzen stump, and so, all being secure, each one turned in and had a full night's rest, of the which, indeed, many of them stood in sore need. The following morning the second mate had a consultation with the boatswain, after which he gave the order to commence upon the removal of the great superstructure, and to this each one of us set himself with vigor. Yet it was a work requiring some time, and near five days had passed before we had the ship stripped clear. When this had been accomplished, there came a busy time of routing out various matter of which we should have need in jury-rigging her, for they had been so long in disuse that none remembered where to look for them. At this a day and a half was spent, and after that we set to about fitting her with such jury masts as we could manage from our material. Now, after the ship had been dismasted, all those seven years gone, the crew had been able to save many of her spars, these having remained attached to her, through their inability to cut away all of the gear. And though this had put them in sore peril at the time, of being sent to the bottom with a hole in their side, yet now had they every reason to be thankful. For, by this accident, we had now a foreyard, a topsail yard, a main to-gallant yard, and the fore topmast. They had saved more than these, but had made use of the smaller spars to shore up the superstructure, sawing them into lengths for that purpose. Apart from such spars as they had managed to secure, they had a spare topmast lashed along under the larboard bulwarks, and a spare to gallant and a royal mast lying along the starboard side. Now the second mate and the boatswain set the carpenter to work upon the spare topmast, bidding him make for it some trestle trees and bolsters, upon which to lay the eyes of the rigging, 
but they did not trouble him to shape it. Further, they ordered the same to be fitted to the fore topmast and the spare to gallant and royal mast. And in the meanwhile, the rigging was prepared. And when this was finished, they made ready the shears to hoist the spare topmast, intending this to take the place of the main lower mast. Then when the carpenter had carried out their orders, he was set to make three partners with a step cut in each, these being intended to take the heels of the three masts. And when these were completed, they bolted them securely to the decks at the forepart of each one of the stumps of the three lower masts. And so, having all ready, we hove the main mast into position, after which we proceeded to rig it. Now, when we had made an end of this, we set to upon the foremast, using for this the four topmasts which they had saved, and after that we hove the mizzenmast into place, having for this the spare to gallant and royal mast. Now, the manner in which we secured the masts, before ever we came to the rigging of them, was by lashing them to the stumps of the lower masts, and after we had lashed them, we drove dunnage and wedges between the masts and the lashings, thus making them very secure. And so, when we had set up the rigging, we had confidence that they would stand all such sail as we should be able to set upon them. Yet further than this, the boatswain bade the carpenter to make wooden caps of six-inch oak, these caps to fit over the squared heads of the lower mast stumps, and having a hole each of them to embrace the jury mast, and by making these caps in two halves they were able to bolt them on after the mast had been hove into position. And so, having gotten in our three jury lower masts, we hoisted up the foreyard to the main to act as our main yard, and did likewise with the topsail yard to the fore, and after that we sent up the tagallant yard to the mizzen. Thus we had her sparred, all but a bowsprit and jaboom, yet this we managed by making a stumpy spike bowsprit from one of the smaller spars which they had used to shore up the superstructure, and because we feared that it lacked strength to bear the strain of our fore and aft stays, we took down two hawsers from the fore, passing them in through the hawse holes, and setting them up there. And so we had her rigged, and after that we bent such sail as our gear abled us to carry, and in this wise had the hulk ready for sea. Now the time that it took us to rig the ship and fit her out was seven weeks, saving one day. And in all this time we suffered no molestation from any of the strange habitants of the weed continent, though this may have been because we kept fires of dried weed going all the night about the decks, these fires being lit on big, flat pieces of rock which we had gotten from the island. Yet, for all that we had not been troubled, we had more than once discovered strange things in the water swimming near to the vessel. But a flare of weed hung over the side on the end of a reed had sufficed always to scare away such unholy visitants. And so at last we came to the day on which we were in so good a condition that the boatswain and the second mate considered the ship to be in a fit state to put to sea, the carpenter having gone over so much of her hull as he could get at, and found her everywhere very sound, though her lower parts were hideously overgrown with weed, barnacles, and other matters, yet this we could not help, and it was not wise to attempt to scrape her, having consideration to the creatures which we knew to abound in those waters.
Now in those seven weeks, Mistress Madison and I had come very close to one another, so that I had ceased to call her by any other name save Mary, unless it were a dearer one than that, though this would be one of my own invention, and would leave my heart too naked did I put it down here. Of our love, one for the other, I think yet, and ponder how that mighty man, the boatswain, came so quickly to a knowledge of the state of our hearts, for he gave me a very sly hint one day that he had a sound idea of the way in which the wind blew, and yet, though he said it with a half jest, methought there was something wistful in his voice as he spoke, and at that I just clapped my hand in his, and he gave it a very huge grip, and after that he ceased from the subject. You've been listening to The Boats of the Glen Carrig by William Hope Hodgson, read by Paul R. Potts. This audio recording is made available under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share Alike 2.5 license. Find out more at creativecommons.org. Links for the project can be found at thepotshouse.org. Music for Chapter 16 is by Adaptcore from the album Sunset After Wind and by Formication from the album Pieces for a Condemned Piano. These works are available at darkwinter.com. Sound effects are taken from the album Thaw, Field Recordings from Minnesota, available at wanderingear.com.